is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J. Head Moses Malone. I like slam Ah, Basketball by Mr. Curtis Blow. It's a classic. You know, it's got to be the only song to ever make a Moses Malone reference. If there's two things that me and Mr. Curtis Blow have in common, it's our love of basketball and the fact that we both start our name with the letter K, which is pretty uncommon for the names Curtis and Ray. I felt I needed to bring some hoopa loops to the podcast, some more of that uh, beautiful game that Dr. James Naismith invented. Fun fact, you know, they used to use peach baskets at first without a hole, so after every shot, they'd have to climb on up and bring it on down. Yeah, I tell you, that reminds me of something. Basketball, climbing on up, and bringing it on down? Well, they all share something else in common. The story of Tim Donaghy. That's right. Thanks, old timer. Mr. Timmy Donaghy. NBA ref, compulsive gambler, and Patsy? Well, that's for you to judge. You know, that was my line, old timer, but yes, that's for you to judge. Here is always to assist me on this journey, helping me run a solid Division II college-level full-court press, is Mr. Robert W. Schneider. And if there's one thing that Rob knows all about, it's uh, musicals written before the year 1957. So, uh, Rob's gonna learn a lot. But, uh, we already have, we're working on his jump shot right now. That's right, buddy, flick the wrist. And, uh, you know, just so I can get a uh, Lakers reference into the intro, here is the Showtime Lakers with their rap from the era of Just Say No. Here's the song, Just Say No. Blink 182. Low rise jeans on everyone, you. The flight of the balloon boy. And the fall of my space. And damn it's nipple slipping. This was a thing. It hardly bling. Freddy got fingered. Was a thing. This was a thing. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. This week, we're diving into the Tim Donaghy slash NBA betting scandal. Now, this was a thing because a professional basketball referee who was also a compulsive gambler thought he could make some extra money influencing the games that he was refing. Then he got in too deep. Then the FBI got involved, which made NBA Commissioner David Stern very upset. And yet, you, you don't want to upset David Stern. Never understand the commish. Now, let me start off by saying that I am a big NBA fan. Mm-hmm. Kind of half pay attention to other sports, but I love the NBA, especially the Lakers. <laughs> Go Lakers. Had to throw that in there. I'm sorry, Ray. You mispronounced Clippers. <sighs> you already screwed me up. Now... The Tim Donaghy uh, betting scandal is probably the biggest sports betting scandal of the second half of the century. The first half of the century belongs to the 1919 World Series scandal, uh, which we covered in season one. Check it out. Episode six. Link in the description. Bigger than Pete Rose? I'd say all in all, like with Pete Rose was a big name and stuff. But with money bet, yes, this was definitely. Okay, cool. But this scandal was big, not just in a lot of trust being lost, but in the sense that bets that were made won upwards of the hundreds of millions of dollars. So, (laughs) yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars were won. And I will talk about there's not an exact number that's, you know, that we know, but there's some things that people have figured out. And I'll talk about that towards the end. So these people, we don't know the exact numbers, but let's just say a lot of people could add guac without worrying. (laughs) Exactly. Extra guac. Now, these people were obviously professionals that were involved. Uh, Now, I don't gamble. I played blackjack the first time I went to Vegas after turning 21 and knocked my drink over on the blackjack table, so I took it as a sign. (laughs) I don't understand wagers, odds, bookies, so I won't be presenting from that point of view, that POV, if you will, but I'll break down the scandal and the cast of characters that were involved. So, you know, and there's a... 
that just a lot happened with this. Now, I used a really, really great article from ESPN, interviewed a bunch of the people involved in the story. Not Tim Donaghy, though. He saved that for his book, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article's called How Former Ref Tim Donaghy Conspired to Fix NBA Games by Scott Eden. And I also pulled clips from a really great Vice mini documentary called Inside the Gambling Ring of NBA Referee Tim Donaghy. And I also pulled clips from Tim Donaghy's 60-minute interview. So brief preview of what I'm going to be talking about. On July 20th, 2007, New York Post reporter Murray Weiss broke a story of an investigation by the FBI. Headline, NBA in a fix. Feds probing ref in mafia bet scam. The mafia is involved? Ooh, did I get you? <laughs> it alleged that during the 2005-2006 and 2006-2007 NBA season, a ref bet thousands of dollars on games which he officiated. Spoiler, it was Tim Donaghy. Jesus! Tim Donaghy, an NBA referee for 13 years, is being investigated for allegedly betting on games, some in which he officiated... Now, this all went down in 2007, but it was far from the first major sports betting scandal. Like I mentioned, the 1919 World Series, where the White Sox intentionally threw the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds, allegedly, at the behest of famous gambler Arnold Rothstein. Who was the judge in that trial? Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Thank you. In 1951, there was a CCNY point-shaving scandal that rocked college basketball. In organized sports, point-shaving is the type of of match-fixing where the people who plan it try to change the final score of a game without changing who wins. This is usually done by players working with gamblers to prevent a team from covering a published point spread, which where gamblers bet on the margin of victory. Mm. So a point-shaving scheme generally involves a sports gambler and one or more players with the team favored to win the game. Now, in exchange for a bribe, the player or players agree to ensure that their team will not cover the point spread. So the bribe player's team may still win, but not by as big of a margin as mm. they predicted by the bookmakers. So it's like... So the athletes have to be on yeah, this Yeah, so too, it's a right? matter of missing free throws. You know what I mean? So like they they're already going to win but it doesn't matter you know like if it says oh they're going to win by four then they miss a couple free throws and then the people who bet against them can win a lot of money so the gamblers then wager against the bribe team during the 1978-1979 season, players from Boston College were involved in a point-shaving scheme with some mobsters who included Henry Hill and Jimmy the Gent Burke. Those two men would have a film made about their exploits. You may have heard of the film Goodfellas. Oh. Yeah, now the fix was only discovered after Hill's arrest for drug charges in 1980. Hill then used his knowledge of the point-shaving scheme to work out a deal with authorities. Some would call him a rat. I'm not calling him anything. Just saying some would call him that. I'm not saying that. The scandal is mostly known for the people that were involved. So just because those two guys were became famous for Goodfellas and stuff, this kind of became famous. There was another point-shaving scandal in 85 involving Tulane University in New Orleans. Future NBA player John Hot Rod Williams was allegedly involved but wound up being acquitted. It was revealed that five players were found to have accepted cash and or cocaine from a group of New Orleans gamblers that wanted them to shave points for multiple games that year. And or cocaine. Uh, Tulane shut down his basketball program for the remainder of the decade. Then in 1989 brought us the Pete Rose scandal. Now, this is from uh, Sports Handle. Pete Rose's stature as baseball's all-time hits leader has made his gambling-related fall from grace a compelling story for decades for both his defenders and critics. Rose was widely heralded in 24 seasons as a player. 24 seasons. That's fucking crazy. 24 seasons of being a professional athlete, no matter who you are. Yeah. But his downfall came as a manager of the Cincinnati Reds in 1989. An MLB investigation found he had uh, been regularly betting on baseball games in violation of league rules for a year, including placing wagers on his own team. Rose agreed to his in, an indefinite ban from the sport in 1989 while maintaining he was not guilty of baseball betting. His denials continued for years until admitting in 2004 autobiography My Prison Without Bars that he had a frequent better that he was a frequent better though never against his own team. I bet on my team to win every night because I love my team. I believed in my team, Rose told broadcaster Dan Patrick in 2007. Really quickly, more point shaving in 1994 from two Arizona State basketball players. Two other players from Northwestern were involved but in another point shaving scandal. Between 2004 and 2006, University of Toledo basketball and football programs came under a microscope after a Las Vegas odds-making firm discovered some suspicious bets placed on the school games over these years. Now, all these scandals led us to 2007 when Mr. Tim Donaghy got in trouble. Now, here is some background in the Tim before we get into the scandal. In the Tim. In the Tim. Here's some uh, just a little backstory. Tim Francis Donaghy was born January 7th, 1967 in the Philadelphia suburb of Havertown, Pennsylvania. 
Now, ESPN describes the area you grew up as a working-class Catholic neighborhood of Delaware County just outside Philadelphia, Delco, as it's sometimes called, and it will be sometimes referred to as Delco in this show. Hey, Delco. Hey, Delco. Uh, where the sports bars are abundant and where a certain easy familiarity with all forms of gambling prevails. These guys have bookies like they've got dentists. So it's a big gambling area that Tim is from. Now, he went to Cardinal Hara High School and obvious-sounding public school name. Two other men that went to this high school were James Batista and Tommy Martino. Who uh, have nothing to do with this story. Well, no, no, they do. Uh, they, <laughs> they have a lot to do with this story. They just signed Tim's yearbook. <laughs> uh, James has numerous nicknames, uh, Jimmy, Baba, and The Sheep. Tommy doesn't have a nickname that I know of. I guess Tommy is a nickname, mm-hmm. but it's not a cool nickname. Uh, we'll we'll say that Baba looks like a bald Vincent D'Onofrio uh, as Kingpin in the Marvel stuff. Big and menacing. That's so Vincent D'Onofrio. And let's say Tommy, no cool nickname, will be played by Dean Kane. Remember him? Dean Kane. Yes. Yeah, so Dean Kane's getting some work in this, so that's nice, you know. Great for him. Yeah. Now, we'll get back to Jimmy and Tommy in a bit. Just want to introduce them at this point of the story. You know, they went to high school with Tim. Now, Tim would graduate from Villanova University in 1989 with a degree in sales and marketing. He supposedly played on the baseball team while in school, but there's some stories that say, well, uh, the coach uh, the coach doesn't remember necessarily remember him. Tim's father, Jerry, was a referee at the highest levels of the NCAA for a long time, so Tim wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, it seems. Tim started officiating uh, high school basketball in Pennsylvania for five years. He then moved on to seven years of refing for the Continental Basketball Association, or CBA, which was uh, men's pro basketball minor league. So mm. it was before the NBA had like the D League or G League or whatever league it is called this season. Uh, he even got to be the head official for the 1993 CBA All-Star Game. Man. What a what an honor. The very next year, Tim got called up to the big leagues. He became an NBA ref at 27 years old. It was a job I was born to do, Donaghy wrote in his 2009 memoir, Personal Foul. <laughs> in 1995, he would marry his wife, Kimberly. As an NBA ref, Tim usually was pretty under the radar, except for a few occasions. In 2003, during a regular season game, Tim called a technical foul on Rashid Wallace, who was on the Portland Trailblazers at the time. Wallace had thrown the ball at another official during the game. Wallace was known for his fiery temper. Now, after the game, Wallace approached Donaghy and confronted him with obscenities. Donaghy said that he was threatened. Wallace ended up getting a seven-game suspension. This was the longest suspension at this point for someone something that didn't involve violence or drugs. Now, in 2004, Donaghy was one of three refs officiating the infamous Malice at the Palace game between the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers. Now, with less than a minute left in the game, uh, Pistons center Ben Wallace went up for a layup and got fouled from behind by Pacers' Ron Artest. Ben Wallace shoved Ron Ron, that's his nickname, Ron Ron. A fight broke out, a fan threw a beer at Ron, Ron rushed the stands and punched the fan. Now Artest has jumped over the scorer's table and is trying to get down to the bench. Artest is in the stands. Oh, this is awful. Fans are getting involved. Steven Jackson's in the fans. So one of the most infamous basketball games of all time before Tim Donaghy had the scandal. He was one of three refs during that game. Uh, Now, it's like I said, one of the most insane moments in NBA history. Huge fines, suspensions for all players involved. Ron Artest, now Meta World Peace, has made amends with the fan he punched, and they are now friends. Ron, the guy you punched, are like buddies now. Kind of like us. Yeah, exactly. When Meta won a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers, beating the Boston Celtics in seven games, Ron thanked his psychiatrist after the game. I definitely want to thank my doctor, Dr. Sandy, my um, my psychiatrist. She really helped me relax a lot. Thank you so much. It's so difficult to play. All this, there's so much commotion going on in the playoffs, and she helped me relax. I thank you so much. Anyway, Donaghy was an official for the infamous Malice of Palace game. He made a really good living as a ref. Now, rookie referees from the NBA can make six figures, so that's pretty good. It's an exhausting schedule during the season, constantly traveling, tons of running and sweating, and getting yelled at by professional athletes that tower over you by a foot or more. So, But when it's off-season, it's like a mini-retirement, according to some. 
I guess you're just constantly sitting around and doing nothing. Now, in 1998, Tim and his family built a house on a golf course in a country club called Radley Run. It's located in Westchester, Pennsylvania. He'd constantly be playing golf when he was at home from work, drinking and playing 18 holes. Now, drinking, drinking, drinking. When he wasn't playing golf, he was taking trips to the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City, where Artie Lang used to perform all the time. He would make sure to wear his baseball cap low enough to cover his eyes. The NBA forbade uh, referees from gambling, except for horse racing apparently horse race gambling was a-okay for nba refs so that was just an odd like well you guys can go to the the track yeah go to the track now his wife kimberly said that he was hardly at home she's quoted as saying he was a single man married with four kids now, amongst his golf buddies was a guy uh, he'd known since high school, Jack Concannon. He isn't one of those guys I mentioned earlier. They still come in later. Concannon had a bookie, as you you do, uh, named Peter Regeri. He was part of the golf crew. The ESPN article describes him as short, squat, thick neck. Regeri was built, some thought, like a small rhinoceros. In spheres other than country club set, he went by the nickname Rhino. So <laughs> that's always a fun nickname. Now, Rhino had a handicapping system for picking NFL and college football games. In October 2000, to Donaghy and Concannon pulled their money together to bet on Rhino's picks, a clear violation of the NBA's rules on betting. Donaghy wrote at this moment, I started thinking, or should I say rationalizing, shit, everyone on the staff bets. I was like a pot smoker moving up to cocaine. So he went from doing small golf bets to this. Now, around 2003, Donaghy and Concannon seemed to be getting complacent with their current habits. They needed something new. It was then at their country club clubhouse that they decided they would start betting on NBA games, but not just any old random NBA game. Now, according to court documents, they'd bet on games Tim would officiate. Now, here's Tim explaining uh, how one part of the scheming worked. What exactly did you know? I knew that there were certain relationships that existed between referees and players, referees and coaches, and referees and owners that um, influenced the point spreads in game. So he knew of how the kind of different referee uh, relationships they have with players, and he knows that the all, that all plays into how people uh, referee games. Now, the ESPN article says, there were many misconceptions about the Tim Donaghy scandal. Perhaps the greatest is this, that Donaghy was the ref who colluded with gamblers on NBA games for one disgraceful season. That is incorrect. Now, according to a court document, Donaghy and Concan placed their first bet on a game Donaghy was refing in March 2003, more than four years and four NBA seasons before he was caught. He started small. In the first March, he bet on only two or three games. The next season, though, the volume rose sharply. He made between 30 and 40 wagers on games he worked. Same with the season after that and the season after that. He did well by Donaghy's own admission in his memoir. So much cash started rolling in that he had problems knowing physically where to stash it so his wife wouldn't start asking questions. In 2005, Tim and his family, his wife and four daughters, moved down to Sarasota, Florida. His wife, Kim, I should clarify, wife at the time they divorced in 2007. Shocked. Yeah, shortly after the scandal broke. Uh, Kim said that Tim was very secretive, that he'd always be in a locked room on the phone. Uh, Kim said that there was a time when she was doing laundry and his official NBA jacket found a rubber-banded roll of $100 bills as round as an orange. She thought it must have been from the golf course wager. She believed this happened around sometime in 2004. So she found an orange-sized roll of hundreds. I mean, I don't play golf, but I must be missing out on this. Uh, <laughs> she continued to find more cash, but never questioned it or counted it. When she was asked why she never did those things, she replied that she was scared. So okay. he seems like he probably wasn't the nicest man, and if he's betting a lot of money couldn't imagine. Now, enter Jimmy Baba Batista. This is who Vincent D'Onofrio would play. Jimmy got involved with a small sports betting syndicate known uh, by the title The Office. To some, the group were known as The Animals, though. So it was The Office and The Animals. Man, I wish my group, I don't even have a group, but man, two, <laughs> two group names? That's pretty dope. They got this name because most of the members got animal nicknames by chance. Now, Jimmy was the sheep. Rhino was obviously part of this crew. Other animal nicknames included Rooster, Seal, and Tiger. What kind of fucking zoo is this? <laughs> now, here's uh, Jimmy the sheep talking about working with the animals. Three out of four weekends per month, I was out to Vegas. So I got paid to make bets. I got paid to drop off money. I'm like, fuck, I'm making a few grand a week. This was the American dream for a young kid. So as this time continued, I started to do some stuff on my own. I was um, working with a group at that time called the Animals. We called ourselves the Animals. We used to sit in a gambling office all day long and just book and bet. 
Now, this is the early 2000s. Online betting was starting to become much more popular because yes. the internet was kind of starting yes. to become much more popular. And a lot of the sites were set up on offshore places with little regulatory oversight, like Costa Rica, Antigua, and Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take a Bermuda. Bahama. Little o- regulatory oversight. I think this is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn it. Sorry, Brian. Yeah. Um, now, the animals ended up in Curacao, another less regulated spot. They launched a sports book called Play ASAP. That sounds like such an early 2000s website. Play ASAP. Is that the name of the website? <laughs> yeah. Rhino started placing bets for his buddy back home, Mr. Jack Concannon. This is from ESPN. Uh, Rhino had noticed that Concannon's bet sizes were an order of magnitude higher on certain NBA games, and those bets won. One like Concannon had never won before. Normally, this guy was $100 or $200, maybe $500 better. And normally, this guy lost. But suddenly, this recreational dumb money insurance salesman was putting five dimes, $5,000, each on select NBA games and beating the bookies. Why? There had to be a pattern. I think I know what it is. Uh, yeah, right? Now, Rhino was running all of Concannon's bets through Play ASAP and Curacao now. That meant that everyone at Play ASAP offices had access to Concannon's gambling account. They studied every wager he made. It didn't take long for them to figure out what was going on. Now, Rhino was part of Concannon's golf circle, after all, which also included Mr. NBA referee Tim Donaghy. Now, they checked all the games he was betting big on, and guess who was always one of the refs? Now, they couldn't believe it. Donaghy and Concannon were betting on Donaghy's games and making a killing. After stumbling upon this major crime, Rhino and the animals did what any law-abiding citizens would do. They went straight to the... Just kidding. Just kidding. No, they followed Kincannon's betting pattern, and they also <laughs> placed bets. Now, but big bets. $30,000 to $100,000 a game, according to a person familiar with the betting. Now, this is from the ESPN article. Large sums, but have handled deftly, not large enough to alert the broader market that something screwy might be going on. They had possibly just stumbled on the ultimate edge. They now had one job— do not lose the edge by letting the information leak. Whether Donaghy was using his whistle to fix games was besides the point. When Donaghy reft and Concannon bet, the side he bet was covering the spread between 60 and 70% of the time. Now, one gambler in the office said you could see he was calling more fouls on the team he bet against and less fouls on the team he bet on. That was obvious. So that was obvious to the gamblers. But to the gamblers. I, to the gamblers, but yes. To the, but to not, a general spectator. Not to the general spectator. Now, a different gambler said, did I assume he was fixing the games? Yeah, I did. But I didn't give a shit because he it was great information. From 2003 to 2007, we didn't miss a game. Any game that he refed, we had a wager on. Now, play ASAP would end up shutting down in 2004. Jimmy Batista returned to the U.S. and started his own company as a bet broker. That's somebody who sells bet Midler tickets, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. You want how much for wind beneath my wings? Here's Jimmy. We built our company on inside information. Someone being in the locker room, getting that information, getting that quarterback that was out all night at the strip club, fucking a stripper, okay, and he was all coked up, and he came to practice late in the morning. The basis of our company was built on the best information to capitalize on it to make a score on somebody. So they would call the I'm making this up. They would call and say, "Hey, Tom at the on at the Lakers. Uh boy, he's really feeling he's not feeling good today." Yeah. So then they would be like, "Okay, so he's probably going to fuck up a lot. Yeah. So we won't bet." Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was how his company thrived by having as much inside information and being able to like place wagers as opposed to like, well, I feel like this team is the yeah. better of the two teams, so I'm going to place my money on the team that I believe is the better of the two teams. No, 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 no. It's much for for gamblers, it's much 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 deeper deeper than that. On an early December night in 2006, he called uh, Jimmy called an old friend from high school, Tommy Martino. Uh, Tommy's the guy that I said would be played by Dean Kane. Jimmy said to Tommy that he has to see him s- as soon as possible and that the matter couldn't be discussed on the phone. So Jimmy was like, Tommy, I got to see you. Tommy was already wise to his old friend Tim's betting scheme. So I guess it was kind of making the rounds of, you know, people. Uh, now, Tommy wasn't really even a gambler. So he just happened to get involved mm-hmm. with this because of old friends from high school. Jimmy had been following the picks for four years now that Tim was doing. So Jimmy was very well versed in this. Jimmy said that the betting markets were starting to catch on to the rise of an incredibly accurate NBA handicapper, afraid that this 
incredibly successful edge would dry up, Jimmy decided that it was time for him to take control of their old mutual high school buddy, Tim. You know, I knew he was in high school. I played football with his brother, Jimmy. His brother, Jimmy, was a great athlete. Timmy was a um, decent athlete himself, a little arrogant, obnoxious. I knew at this point he became an NBA referee. I knew who he was, and I didn't think at that point, like, you know, here I am uh, escalating up the scale in my life as a gambler that, you know, I'm going to contact an NBA official. There was a few games that I thought... The scheming, the scheming, the scheming. Tommy had remained close with both Tim and Jimmy after high school, though Tim and Jimmy were never close, really, to begin with. Uh, Tommy, who was not a gambler by any means, was the middleman now for this new operation. Jimmy insisted that Tommy set up a meeting with Tim. Now, this is, this is, I don't know, this is just to me, so... Just such a like a, a mob, like a mob movie setup. This is from ESPN. It was December twelfth, two thousand six, a Tuesday, an hour before midnight at the Philadelphia Airport Marriott inside the hotel's primary restaurant, call at the time Riverbend Bar and Grill. And it was there in an otherwise vacant dining area, seated around a table that Batista and Donaghy, with Martino witnessing, consummated their deal. Batista demanded that Donaghy never bet with Cannon again, and in exchange for providing Batista with his betting picks, Donaghy would receive two thousand dollars per. Per game, but only if the pick won. Much later, he would come to call this meeting the marriage. Accounts of the meeting differ. Uh, according to statements Donaghy made to federal law enforcement, Batista's deal with a, uh, was effectively an act of extortion. Uh, you don't want anyone from New York coming to your house, Batista told him, and you don't want the NBA to find out about what you've been doing with Concanon. How did you start getting involved with the mob? I had been betting on NBA games with a close friend of mine and he was passing along the information to somebody that was associated in the mob. And when I was at a hotel in Philadelphia, they came down and picked me up. They picked you up? Mm hmm And what happened then? They basically told me that um, I didn't want to be exposed for uh, what I was doing. They were well aware of what I was doing and who I was giving the picks to because the information was being passed along to them and that uh, I needed to give the, them the picks and if I didn't, that um, it's a possibility that somebody would go down and visit my wife and kids in Florida. This guy is an asshole. Oh, no, he's, yeah, he's not a good dude. Now, uh, according to Batista, though, it was Donaghy who reached out first, asking for a meeting. Both Batista and Martino have said that there were no threats and that everyone was nervous, but the situation seemed copacetic. And that what sold Donaghy was, uh, on the deal was Batista saying to him, we know you're giving the games to Jack and Cannon, and then twisting the knife, Batista told him how much Concanon was winning. So once he found out how much Concanon was winning, Donaghy rose from the table. He had to use the bathroom, he said, and motioned to Martino to please come along. He gets so pale sometimes he turns yellow, I swear to God, Martino told the interviewer. In the bathroom, Donaghy was, is like, Tom, you fucking believe it? I said, what? I'm thinking he's going to say, oh shit, it got out to Batista that I'm giving games to Jack, but no. You know what he says? He goes, do you believe it? He goes, Kincannon's making all that money and he's not giving me anything. So it seems like it was like him and Kincannon had a scheme, but Kincannon was the one putting gotcha. all the money on it. Later on that evening in a car, the three of them agreed to a pact while passing around a joint. Now, Jimmy declined having done some coke earlier in the night. We love an upstanding citizen. Yeah. Now, the pact was, don't tell anybody because that's how you get in trouble. What a pact. They have a nicer name for that. No. School's out for podcasts. Ray. I thought that was pretty good. Me too. You know what else is good, Ray? Being one of our Patreon subscribers. Huh, how does one do that? Head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N and search for This Was A Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing and help you relive your youth. That might not be a good thing for some people, Rob. Who? Vitorino. Oh. All right. Now, just a reminder on how fixing works in betting. This is from ESPN. 
What does it mean to fix a game? The methods of fixing are rather straightforward. A player who's on the take can shave points purposely missing baskets, say, in an effort to lower the score for his side. A ref, on the other hand, can effectively add points, calling fouls that result in free throws. And if a ref were to target one particular team with fouls, he could push the score for the opposing side higher than it otherwise would be. Gotcha. The very next night after the marriage would be the first game they would wager on. It was a game between the Philadelphia 76ers... And the Boston Celtics. Uh, Donaghy's... Are you not a Celtics fan? No. No. How come? Because they're the Lakers' biggest rival. Are they really? Yeah. I mean, I have more respect for the Celtics than I do the Clippers. Now, Donaghy said bet the Celtics, who were favored by 2.5 points. The Celtics won in a blowout. A source familiar with the team said, said Jimmy Batista moved as much as $500,000 on the first game. So he was very excited about this. The next night, all three men, according to all parties, met at Tommy's house in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, Jimmy arrived with a stack of $100 bills for Tim. They agreed upon $2,000 and an extra $3,000 as a sweetener. So Tim got $5,000 for your correct pick. Jimmy had put $500,000 in wages in. Tim got $5,000, and that included a sweetener. Jimmy said that from this point on, he would never have contact with Tim Only Tommy was to have contact with Tim. Then Tommy would relay the information to Jimmy. To avoid detection, they would use a code. This is from ESPN. Now, Martino had two brothers. One, Johnny, lived in Jersey. The other, Chuck, lived in Delco, Delaware County. According to Martino, if Donaghy mentioned out-of-state Johnny's name, the pick was for the visiting team. If Donaghy talked about Chuck, bet the home side. Not exactly the Enigma cipher, but better than yapping about specific teams and risking someone overhearing. Now, Jimmy wanted the picks as early as possible, preferably the night before the game, but no later than morning of. Then Jimmy could manipulate the betting markets in their favor. Now, this is from ESPN. He would start before dawn with the enormously liquid Asian betting markets, an amorphous group of black and gray market internet sportsbooks based in places like Manila and Kuala Lumpur. Normally, this meant making a few head fake bets. If you think the Celtics are the side that's likely to cover, then you go to the market as early in the trading session as possible and put some money on Philly. Do it right and you can drive down the price of Boston. Then later in the day, with the price right, you gobble up all the Boston you can. According to Martino and Batista, after such wagering was complete, Batista via Martino would then informed Donaghy of the spread he needed to cover and so it began so I mean I like I said I don't understand but it's it it makes sense that if you're trying to like yeah just bet against the team I don't know it's just I'm very glad that I I went to Vegas a lot of times in you know and I never got into gambling and boy am I glad that I never sat down to try to learn like it's it's too complicated it's too complicated I've had a couple like oh poker nights with friends and every time it'd be like First couple hands. Could you guys just walk me through it again? Yes. Thank you so much. All righty. I'm that annoying guy. Yeah, okay, Ray. Now, things started to move fast. Money was pouring in. Communication through burner phones, believe it or not. Money drops all over the country by trusted gophers, $10,000 in rubber-banded cash rolls. It started to become so successful that Tim started to make $5,000 per pick. Oh, boy. Which, compared to the money Jimmy was winning, was nothing still. Uh, Jimmy started to do a ton of blow. Uh, He was tired and needed to stay up and alert, so cocaine is the way to go, apparently. Tommy once said that Tim can influence a game six points either way. That's what he told me. So, I mean, six points is... And I mean, I can see that too, like with free throws or pulling the best player, fouling, you know, foul trouble and stuff. I mean, I could. Oh, sure. It certainly, it makes sense. From ESPN, Martino did recall Donaghy telling him that certain games would be unfixable. In Martino's words, blowouts he can't control. Mm. The score of a, a game widened too far beyond the betting line, Donaghy told Martino. Donaghy would be powerless to rein it back in because then you got to call a lot of fouls, Martino said, and it's too obvious. So they even knew that there were limits to what they could do. Jimmy Batista would watch the games but would get too nervous and had to turn them off. They gave him agita, which is one of my favorite terms. Agita. I'm getting agita right now. Uh, he said, I remember being like, oh shit, he's getting, he's getting out of hand. It was too obvious. I was like, if anyone's watching this, we've got a problem. It didn't stop though. Now Jimmy, already deep in a cocaine habit, moved on to Oxycontin and Vicodin. He fell asleep at dinner. He'd sometimes vomit blood. He kept making bet after bet after bet. He moved on to sports betting where he had no insider information. So just was like, oh, I'm, I, let me just see if my guesses work. Without the insider info, he wasn't as successful, believe it or not. Now on March 15th, Jimmy confessed to his wife that he'd lost seven million dollars of his clients money of his clients money the next night jimmy was at tommy's surrounded by family and friends two days later jimmy was in rehab now it's time to bring in the law 
You ready for the law? Is it going to talk like that? No. Phil Scala was an FBI agent who investigated organized crime in New York City. Now, for our movie... Oh, no. We're casting Hector Elizondo. Oh, I love him. Yep. So that's who's going to be FBI agent Phil Scala. He talks quietly, and that means he's acting. Phil Scala's unit focused on the Gambino family, one of the five families in New York City. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Over time, he had a pretty good list of trusted informants. Now, one of his informants gave him a tip that was too good to ignore. Uh, The Stitch didn't know names, but informed Scala that there was an NBA ref, quote, in the pocket of people in the underground sports betting world. Now, it didn't appear that these shadowy figures were made men in the Gambino family, but crucial information was making its way into betting circles. Which team the ref favored? Scala got involved because, quote, a crew of Gambino thugs in the Canarsie section of Brooklyn had figured out the formula and was supposedly from what the informant had heard, winning millions on the ref's games. Illegal sports gambling was not Scala's focus, but stomping out the mob profit center was. Scala said that his unit received the initial tip in October 2006, which was two months before the marriage of Tim, Tommy, and Jimmy. So the, the Tim can cannon games were already making its way to the FBI. Now, through phone records and random connections, the FBI was able to deduce that Tim Donaghy was their guy. Surprise, the FBI was able to do that after Play ASAP was able to do that. Good job, everybody. In April 2007, just a few days after Jimmy got home from rehab, the FBI was at his door. What a way to come home. They told him that they knew he'd been what he'd been doing was looking at 25 years if he didn't cooperate. Jimmy wanted to speak to his lawyer. I First thing I want to say, guys, go in. I'll be right in. You know, I didn't want to have it in front of my kids and... You know, we know you gamble we're working with any type of NBA officials or handicappers or anything like that. And I said, I, I said, uh, I really, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, come on, cheap. Uh, we know who you are and uh, what's going on. And now one of my younger daughters came out of the driveway, daddy, daddy. And you're looking at a good 25 years. And I said, listen, I really can't help you. I'm sorry, my friend. You can contact my attorney, Jack McMahon. When Jimmy went into rehab, he handed over the reins of the of his operation to Rhino. Remember Rhino? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rhino wasn't keen on this operation Jimmy had going on. When Rhino found out, Rhino wasn't a very happy Rhino. <laughs> now, the spreads for games were moving violently, and word about Donaghy had hit the market. So... It was out there. People knew it was happening. Uh, Batista was just ruining something that was totally quiet that nobody knew about, said one of the animals. He started betting it with everybody and moving the lines like crazy. It was like, why would you do that? Now, Rhino ended up shutting down the operation, and the final game was a loss. Sorry, Rhino. What a way to go out. Now, according to the FBI documents, a grand jury was convened as early as February. On May 30th, Tommy testified before it. After his testimony... Tommy called Tim to let him know what had just happened. Now, this is from the ESPN article. Article In his memoir, Donaghy writes that he was standing at the first tee at his home golf club in Sarasota with a driver in his hands when he took a call from Martino. His body turned numb. He thought he was having a heart attack. The only concern I had, he wrote, was saving my own selfish sorry ass. By June 15th, Donaghy was sitting inside the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York in downtown Brooklyn, naming names and making a statement. I think, from my knowledge, that they actually went to Timmy and then he, um, you know, was cooperating with them to uh, come after me or whoever whoever else they thought was involved. I asked all my phones, what proof did they have? Now, on June 21st, Agent Scala and his team went to the NBA League office in Manhattan. They had a meeting with NBA Commissioner David Stern and his team, which included current Commissioner Adam Silver. The FBI informed the NBA's team that one of their veteran officials, Tim Donaghy, had been betting on his own games and passing inside info to a gambling ring for a fee. There was no mention of game fixing. Now, Scala remembers Stern being more upset by the fact that the NBA's internal team wasn't able to catch Tim before the FBI. He didn't seem to be concerned about what Tim had done. Regardless, uh, Commissioner Stern promised the league's full cooperation. Agent Scala considered this initial meeting to be a mistake now. Now, in the conversations Tim had with the FBI, he started to name other NBA officials who were corrupt. Uh, The FBI was planning on having Tim wear a wire to corroborate his story. So Tim wearing a wire would have helped find these other corrupt uh, reps and uh, incriminate them. So, you know, Tim was going to wear a wire and he was going to be the start. Now, before this plan could take place, though, about a month after the FBI-NBA meeting, Marie 
Corey Weiss of the New York Post published a story. Headline, NBA in a fix. Feds probing ref and mafia scam. What paper was this? The New York Post. Uh Uh-huh. Now, this is Murray Weiss. So I come to work. It's a Friday morning. Sometime that morning, I got a tip that the FBI was investigating a referee with the NBA and that the referee had been betting on games. I decided to call somebody I knew in the FBI in Washington, D.C. And the response was, you know, Murray, I think I saw something like that on my desk recently. Scala feels like if this story was never put out, Tim would have worn a wire and more corruption could have possibly been exposed. Now, at the time, Scala was livid. He contacted the writer Murray Weiss, but the veteran reporter wouldn't give up his source. Scala won't say if he thinks the NBA leaked the info, but a private investigator named William Flagg, who worked with Donaghy's attorney on the case, said... Someone in the NBA notified the press in order to stop the investigation, in my opinion, to shut it down. Aha. Uh-huh. So they think that the NBA leaked it yep. because the NBA only wanted to have one bad ref as opposed to possibly exposing multiple bad refs and making their name even worse. This is from ESPN. Uh, Weiss disputes that. He said that his tipster wasn't affiliated with the NBA as far as I know, he says. But the longtime crime reporter says he did at one point talk to a person involved with Stern and the NBA in that era. The person wanted to deliver a message about uh, about Weiss more critical reporting on the scandal. I was warned, Weiss told me, that if I stumbled, Stern would do anything he could to crush me. I was told they're the kind of people who will do anything they can to protect themselves and the game. Now, four days after the Post article was released, NBA Commissioner David Stern held a press conference. I think I'm going to come back to the fact that I'm going to wait for this investigation to run its course because we think we have here a rogue isolated criminal. In his first public comment on the case of former ref Tim Donaghy, Stern said the league did not know an investigation was underway until the FBI called on June 20th, after the season was over. There's been some speculation that we knew that Donaghy was betting this season and nevertheless let him work. That's not true. A somber he said Tim was, a, as a matter of his on-court performance, he was in the top tier of accuracy. So as a ref... It's a good ref. He's a good ref, yeah. Stern's conclusion that Donaghy didn't fix games would be validated by the federal investigation. You're insisting that your betting did not influence the way you called a game. Why should we believe you? Because the FBI did a thorough investigation, and even the NBA concluded that um, I did not fix games in the NBA. Now, in August 2007, Tim Donaghy would plead guilty on two charges, conspiracy to commit wire fraud and conspiracy to uh, transmit gambling information. In April 2008, Tommy Martino would plead guilty to the same charges. Also in April 2008, Jimmy Baba Batista would cut a deal. Uh, He pled guilty only to the charge of transmission of gambling information. Tommy got a year, while Tim and Jimmy got 15 months, all in federal prison. Donaghy admitted to betting on his own games, but not to fixing the games, like I said. The NBA would Lead its own investigation led by uh, Larry Pedowitz, a partner of an, of an elite New York law firm. The point of this investigation was to audit the entire NBA referee program for corruption, but there also had another goal, to figure out whether Donaghy had indeed fixed games. And if he did, what was his method? This is from ESPN. To answer those questions, Pedowitz convened a group of NBA basketball operations personnel to watch games worked by Donaghy during the 2006-2007 season, but the ensuing report did not fully explain the limited number of games they decided to review. The FBI had discovered that Donaghy had wagered on as many as 40 of his own games with Concanon during each of the three seasons between 2004 and 2006. Based on the information from Tommy Martino, among others, there were reasons to suspect Donaghy had had money on the vast majority of his games during the fateful 2006-2007 season. From the the very beginning until as late as April 11th, 65 games in all, yet the number of games reviewed by the Pedowitz group of NBA employees was only 17. Donaghy told the FBI that he'd only wager on 16 games during the final season of his career. The FBI would never say which games, though. The NBA's investigation had to deduce them from court documents and FBI requests for game videos. They came up with a list of 17 possible games Donaghy bet on. Now, the NBA employees examined every play and determined whether, in their view, Donaghy's calls or absence of calls were correct. According to the report, only one of those 17 games— 
Pistons at Nets on December 16, 2006, raised concerns that Donaghy's calls and substantial errors might have been aimed at favoring Detroit, which covered the point spread. Regarding whether Donaghy fixed games or not, Pedowitz upheld the findings of the U.S. Attorney's Office, which never charged him with such crimes. So this report said, yeah, he wasn't fixing games, just giving insider information. Based on our review and with the information we have available, we are unable to contradict the government's conclusion, is what they said. But he is fixing games. Yes, but and it, this is FBI agent Scala never agreed with these findings. His feeling was that Tim's deals with Kincannon and Jimmy completely tainted his capacity of officiating, even if only subconsciously. This notion even made its way to the Pedowitz report. Scala says he said to Tim, "Listen, don't tell me that you have some independent decision-making ability in your mind's computer that's going to be unbiased because that's not going to fucking happen. All those gray area decisions you have to make, Tim, because you're betting on the game. Your judgment is off, and you threw the game." So yes. yes, exactly. So the special agent that led this investigation for the FBI disagrees with the findings of the NBA <laughs> and the district attorney, which you and I also disagree with the findings of the NBA. And he the, threw a game. Yeah, multiple games, I feel like. Even with his annoyance at the outcome, Scala had to move on. His unit focus was the Gambinos, and now this case was done and major mob money center shut down. Scala and his team's work was finished. So <laughs> so while he's doing that, the mob is just running amok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You ever like leave your pets at home and you come back? You're like, oh, God. <laughs> You've thrown everything around. What? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, God. Damn you, Donaghy. <laughs> now, Agent Scala also remembers that it wasn't just Tim who told everyone he didn't fix games. The NBA echoed the same thing. This is also from the NBA article. They told us, you can't fix a game in the NBA. It's impossible, Scala says. Toomey invested observers, referees, supervisors, coaches, players, owners, media fans would be too quick to complain if they saw something fishy, the NBA argued. But as Scala put it, when someone tells you that something's impossible, you know they're full of shit because nothing's impossible. But that was the company line. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, it is a game, and if the other side's not in on it, yes, it's it's absolutely up to chance. But as soon as he says that's a foul, yeah, and now you're going to get a couple of free throws out of it, he has fixed the game. Even it does not matter whether the other team has won or lost; he is a, he is a fixing it. Yeah. He is fixing it. Now, after all this went down, the NBA put a bunch of new measurements in place to detect the possibility of game fixing. Like quarantining all the referees. <laughs> this included things like a beefed up computerized system for monitoring refs' foul calls, enhanced scrutiny of betting line fluctuations that might reveal suspicious wagering, the hiring of staff with experience in law enforcement, security and data analysis, even the cultivation of tipsters within the sports gambling industry who could relay rumors of possible corruption. Now, because of the betting scandal, Commissioner Commissioner Cern revised the guidelines of behavior of NBA refs during the Board of Governors meeting in 2007, regardless of labor agreement for referees, which restricted them from participating in almost all forms of gambling. It was revealed that about half of the NBA's official had made bets in casinos, although not with sports books. So it was, you know, half of NBA refs at this point were already making bets, just not with sports books. In addition, all referees had admitted to engaging in some form of gambling. Stern stated that the ban on gambling is absolute, and in my view, it is too absolute, too harsh, and was not particularly well enforced over the years. Now, the gambling rules were revised to allow referees to engage in several forms of betting, but not on sports. Donaghy claims that while he was imprisoned, he was attacked and threatened. He also claims that in November 2007, a man claiming to be an associate of the New York mob struck Donaghy with a paint roller extension bar, resulting in injuries to his knees and leg, which required surgery. Agent Scala and his colleagues scoffed at the notion that a mobster harmed Donaghy in prison. Scala said, if organized crime wanted to hurt Donaghy, he wouldn't be around today. Hint, hint, organized crime. <laughs> Tim Donaghy was released from prison in 2009. He served 11 months and was due to serve the remainder of a sentence at a halfway house. Eventually, he moved back to Sarasota, Florida. He was always maintained he's never intentionally manipulated games, saying that he based his picks on insider information. Now, after prison, he made picks for a service that provided betting advice for its clients, but that didn't last long. Now, the income he receives now is said to be from rental properties he owns. His personal memoir, Personal Foul, came about before he was even out of prison, believe it or not. Initially, it would be published by an imprint of Random House Triumph Books, but according to a New York Magazine piece in 2015, the NBA somehow convinced Random House to drop the book. Now, Personal Foul was then picked up by a new publisher, Florida-based VTI Group, Incorporated. It would be their first book ever released. 
VTI Group was run by a political consultant and publicist named Shauna Vercher. Tim and Shauna would end up having a falling out while Tim was on his book tour in 2010. The reason for this falling out, Tim refused to take a lie detector test. When asked by Shauna why he wouldn't take it, Tim said, because he would fail it. Great. I'm assuming asking him, did you fix games? Well, yeah, exactly. She was like, we're going to go on a press tour. I'm going to put, you know, we're going to release this book. We want to make sure that you're not lying so we can cover our ass. And he was like, no, I'm okay. Tim would eventually successfully sue Shauna, accusing her of stealing his book proceeds. He was awarded $1.3 million. The betting scandal wouldn't be the last time Tim Donaghy would be in trouble with the law, though. Nope. Donaghy was arrested on December 22, 2017 for aggravated assault. He was released on $5,000 bond and given an arraignment scheduled for January 19, 2018. He was looking for his 19-year-old daughter, who he believed was doing drugs at a friend's house. The two got into an argument. Donaghy told the owner of the house that he was going to hit him with a hammer if he came any closer. Donaghy's attorney said that he was just trying to be a good dad. So you've got no worries about that. You've got no worries about getting knocked off by the mob because you spilled the beans on them. Well, certainly it's in the back of my mind, and but uh, I'm not going to live my life in fear. Do you believe your family is safe now? I'd like to think so, and, and that's from the relationships that I've built with the FBI agents that have informed me that they have a, a, an idea of what is going on at all times. Do you believe that you will be protected? Yes, I do. Now, after the break, we'll talk about something the NCAA just did that will probably help with stopping students from gambling on games, which I think is actually going to be very helpful, which I know it's NCAA, but it's still within the realm of gambling and sports. Thank you. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Thank you all for coming to the St. Pascal's 8th grade science fair. After I visit the little saints room, we'll announce the winners. I'll be right back. Good afternoon, Father. Afternoon, my son. You look like a new parishioner. Are you here to support someone in the science fair? Not exactly. Now, wait, tell me, Father. Ain't that a little funny that, uh, they got you judging a science fair? Eh? Don't that go against the good book? At least from, uh, what I was taught, you know? Well, you see, the good Lord invented the scientists and the earth that is to be explored. All that is here, science included, he created. And we have to do this now to not lose our accreditation. The science fair is new for us. Uh, We actually used to teach the girls how to show off their desserts, and the boys would then practice telling the girls if the desserts were good. Perfect practice for marriage, or so I hear. Any key lime? (laughs) The pie? You never never heard? Forget it. Ovens are off this year. We all know that. With that being said, what about Cicely D'Angelo's uh, Rube Goldberg, huh? It's pretty good, don't you think? I'm not familiar with this Rube Goldberg being mentioned at all. Now, in what testament is he mentioned? Uh, based on the name, I'm assuming the Old Testament. No, 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 no. It ain't a person. See, I-, I thought it was a person first, too. I... I thought it was this guy who was shook up on 44th at the liquor store, but I, no, no, that was, that was Rube Goldstein. Goldberg. You get it. I don't understand what you're trying to say to me. Look, all I'm trying to say is that Cicely D'Angelo's Rube Goldman machine is genuine. It ain't false, Father. Like Alexander Schlotsky's volcano, here's the secret. It's bacon soda and vinegar. That's not science. That's just terrible kitchen etiquette. Yeah, how are you going to award that? If my mother saw that in her kitchen, she'd be, what a hoomba! What are they doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? My mother was very animated, Father. Well, I'll keep that in mind as I'm judging. The Lord will speak to me and tell me who to choose. The Lord ain't speaking. I'm speaking. And I'm speaking on behalf of Mr. D'Angelo, and he would very much like to see his daughter win a ribbon. Since she wasn't invited to Carol Nunzio's birthday party at the roller rink. Since that happened, she has been very sad. Carol Nunzio's not here today. Her father was just killed in a car accident. And if Carol Nunzio invited Cecily D'Angelo to the roller rink, then maybe her dad wouldn't be dead in a car accident, capiche? Look, I think you need to go. Oh, I'm going. But uh, my bladder, uh, father, uh, it just takes a bit. Getting all the socks. No, I meant to leave the premises. Oh, we'll be going. Just wanted to put the good word in for little Cecily in that rube, uh, that, 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 that machine, you know? And when it's done, we're hoping you take a big old sip of the water that the machine so politely poured for you. 
in only 17 simple steps. Do not intimidate me. Unless you're a 14-year-old on the St. Mary's basketball team, I do not get intimidated. No, we don't intimidate. Mr. D'Angelo would like to offer you a gift for you, your keen eye and appreciation of this uh, Ruby Goldberg machine. Perhaps a few extra pieces of frankincense in the collection plate? Frankincense doesn't come in pieces. Well, ours comes in little pieces. Just like Carol Nunzio's mother. Oh, my God. I can't, I can't, I can't, Father. It's a joke. You see what I'm saying? Maybe this Ruby Goldemeyer thing could help make things go to pieces. All it needs is your uh, seal of approval. A, uh, a sacrament, if you will. And uh, if you don't think Mr. D'Angelo's daughter is good enough for the first place, then maybe this church ain't good enough to be left standing, if you know what I mean. No, no, I, I see your point. And you get a little bonus from Mr. D'Angelo. Buy yourself some new candles. <laughs> maybe you can afford to get a full collar. <laughs> God, I've been wanting to say that since I was a kid. God, it feels good. Would he get me a new confessional door? All we have now is a screen door. It's great for the summer, but bad for the secrets. I think that could be arranged. You know, you just need to go out there, you know, just go on out there, put on your hat, and say that you think science is better off now because of Cicely D'Angelo's Ruby Ridge machine. I think that's a miracle we can make come true. I love to hear it. Now, if you'll excuse me, Father, I need to go turn some wine into water, if you know what I mean. I will leave you to be, my son. Go in peace. Literally, go in peace. Also, one last random question. Hey, sorry. How many body parts can be flushed down this toilet? Is it one of those new toilets? Or one of those old toilets? I forgot Carol Nunzio has a brother, also named Carol. <laughs> I'll tell you, if my mother heard there was a boy named Carol, she'd go, Thank you. This was a sketch. No exact number has ever come out that I could find on how much money was won from Donaghy's scheme, but if over a million dollars was being put down on each game, I can only imagine how much it was. This is from ESPN. There have been hints and suggestions that there is a footnote buried deep in Gaming the Game that refers to someone taking home in excess of $200 million. Several sports betting experts, two former underground movers and a longtime professional NBA gambler, agreed that global markets contained enough liquidity in 2007 for, the, for an in-the-know-better to win as much as $100 million. So there was that much money in the market for gambling at that point because of, all the, because of Donaghy and stuff. Do I think this could happen again? Yes. Do I think it will happen again? Probably. Here's what I was saying about the NCAA. They recently adopted the name, image, and likeness policy. So essentially, college athletes are now allowed to sign contract with outside companies where they or their image can appear in advertising, clothing, posters, and they can make some extra money from that. And it's not just big-name college athletes. A cheerleader from Indiana University recently signed an NIL, which is a name, image, likeness, NIL deal. What brought her to the public's attention is that she helped get a basketball unstuck from the top of a backboard during the first round of the 2022 March Madness tournament. Yes, I remember that. So, yeah. So, she was lifted like a normal cheer lift, and she was able to grab the ball. The crowd cheered. She signed a deal. Now, the moment will forever be immortalized on a T-shirt from a cheer company. So because she's so she's able to now make money from that, where in the past they were just like people were just making money off the NCAA athletes. And I know college, they're getting a free education, but most athletes that sign NIL deals will probably be pro and are just kind of going to school because it's needed before they declare for the draft. So it's almost like. I don't necessarily hate these things because a lot of times when athletes turn pro, you hear so many stories of them never having a contract, never yes, done a business yes, deal and yes. stuff, and then they go into bankruptcy. So if maybe in a time when they're in college, they can learn about signing a deal, signing some stuff, it might help with them in the long run. They should so, all take a business class. Well, ab oh, absolutely. And there is like for after uh, the NBA draft, they have like a rookie convention, if you will. But it's like they bring in m money managers and stuff and kind of teach about investment and stuff. So they are doing that kind of thing now to help young players now in the pros i feel like it would be so much harder now to get away with a scheme like this especially now that everyone is more of aware of the possibility of it happening but you never know people are always trying to figure out ways to make some extra cash ola and if it happens again it won't be nearly as shocking speaking of extra cash ola go on to patreon.com and look at for this was a thing sorry continue but you know 
with all this talk of basketball games, I think I'm all warmed up. Should we play a real game? Yeah. For this game, shirts and skins. I'm skins. What does that mean? It means I take my shirt off and you leave your shirt on. No, I don't want to play this game. Shirt, I don't. Shirts and skins. No, I think I'm okay. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Mark, are you a basketball fan at all? No, but I've played one on TV. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I can cheer with the best. I got I to have a finger that um, said number one. You give me a foam finger and I'll show you where to wave it. Okay. That's what I always say. Uh, but let's get, Tim Donaghy was a cheater. Let's all face it. A cheater. Yes, yes. A goddamn cheater. Uh, plain and okay, simple. if you're a Christian. <laughs> if you're a Christian <laughs> God-fearing man. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but plain and simple, he's a cheat, but not like my boys Rob and Ray here walking the straight and narrow, am I right? We try. And you guys are the lucky ones. The world is filled. At least filled. the narrow. Definitely the narrow, if not the straight. The, truth. Uh, the world is filled with well-known figures who've cheated in one way or another, and we're going to learn more about those little cheaters in a little game called Cheater, Cheater, Pumpkin Eater. Oh, it's about pumpkin spice. Yeah, this one's about the lattes, the seasonal... Uh, Starbucks drinks. You guys are going to work together. That's how you know it's a difficult one. Oh, we love teamwork, though. To answer my 10 questions about famous cheaters, grifters, or get-aheaders. Okay. And so help me God if I catch either of you cheating on this game. No, sir. 2014's Fire Festival was a fraudulent luxury music festival concocted by convicted felon Billy McFarland and this rapper. Ja Rule. That is Ja Correct. <laughs> ja Man. In 2019, Lori Laughlin, Aunt yes. Becky from Full House, was charged with fraud and bribery-related crimes for lying that her daughters planned to join this activity at USC. Uh, uh, Ross, right? Rowing. No, it was no, it, no, no, no. Uh, water polo. Something with the water. It's the women's rowing team. Rowing. Oh. Team. I'll give you that. You were, it was amongst the nine answers <laughs> that you gave me. Hey, keep throwing one of it'll stick. Enter this cheat code on the title screen of 1987 Nintendo game Contra to get 30 lives. Uh, up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right. No, you're not getting those lives. It's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. In 1994, Shane Stant assaulted figure skater Nancy Kerrigan by using a telescopic baton to strike her in which leg? The kneecaps. That, that, listen, that, that doesn't tell us which leg. Listen the right which, leg. Which leg? The right leg. Question. That is correct. It is the right leg. A 2014 NFL controversy involving Tom Brady and the New England Patriots manipulating air pressure in footballs was known by this name. Deflate Gate. That's right. It's cute, isn't it? <laughs> yes. The Iran-Contra scandal of the 1980s involved using proceeds from arms sales in Iran to fund counter-revolutionary efforts by the Contras in this country. Nicaragua. That is correct. By the way, funny thing you mentioned that is, it's, it's always funny to me that Contra, the game, came out around the same time as the Contras in Nicaragua mm -hmm. was in power. Yeah. Is that what was really going on down there? Was there an alien invasion in Nicaragua that we sent to a red and a blue marine yeah, shirtless yes. marine in and they covered it up? Yes. Yeah, just either way, it's just one of those things you'd think that someone down the line would have been like, you know what? Oh my God, the arms sales were spreader machine guns and heat-seeking missile guns <laughs> that fell out of the sky when they were shot? Oh it's my all God. coming together now. Oh my God, that Ollie North is just such a gamer. <laughs> well, what I did, I didn't know at the time, but I was sending spreader shotguns and Spreader machine guns so they could fight an alien force. I did down upstart. <laughs> okay, here we go. Back to the game. Martha Stewart was sentenced in July 2004 to serve a five-month term in a federal correctional facility for inside trading of this stock. Chicken? It was chicken. She, <laughs> chicken was, trading, she was trading gen generic chicken stock. I am clone. I am clone. I am clone systems. I am Ray. That's, I am Ray. I, I am, am Sam. <laughs> The Teapot Dome scandal of 1921 sullied the reputation of this U.S. president. Warren G. Harding. Hello. For more information? That would be... Uh, go to the, our Florence F Harding episode. Hello. Flossie. She killed her husband. I can't figure out which it's, number uh, it is. It was our May 10th episode. Enron, the former energy, commodities, and services company, was based in which Texas city? Houston? That is correct. As a result of his so-called doping scandal, Lance Armstrong was stripped of all of his achievements from August 1998 onward, which includes this many Tour de France titles. Seven? On the nose. Wow, good job, right? Stripped of seven 
Tour de France titles. All right, I think you guys did that on the straight and narrow. You got Ja Rule. You got the rowing. You didn't get Contra. You got the right leg. You got Deflate Gate. You got Nicaragua. You didn't get the stock. Warren G. Harding hit. Yeah, you guys are uh, on the straight and narrow. I'm pretty proud of us. Mm-hmm. If you want to celebrate our accomplishments, head on over to www.thiswasathing.com or head on over to Instagram at thiswasathingpod and uh, let us know what you're thinking. And if you like what we're doing and want to send some money our way so we can keep wonderful people like Mark and Ployd and Cut Cut and Billy and Natalie and Gabe and everybody, uh, go on to patreon.com, old Lucy level and above, and you get a uh, special little bonus episode every other week. Nobody else gets that. Just you, exclusive member. Just you, Tiger. You guys like exclusivity? You like uh, movies about exclusives, Billy? No, okay. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 